We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, listen, uh, I just want to say, first of all, if if you've taken your time to be here this morning, thank you so much. I'm so honored that you would be here with us crazy folk at Hope Church. We are so overjoyed when you come. Um, And just so you know, we think about it all week. It's kind of what we do. We love having you every Sunday morning. I don't know if you were able to make it here last week. If you didn't, you missed it again because my amazing husband, Alfie, spoke for the very first, y'all, that was his first sermon. Okay, can we just give it up? That dude crushed it, crushed it, crushed it. And he talked about five lies that we saw in the life of Absalom. And then he gave us five truths to combat those lies. And I want to go on the record because he thinks that when he said, I am not my looks, and I said, yes, amen, that I was talking about his looks, which is not true because I think he's hot. I was talking about my looks, okay? So to be clear, not him, me, okay? Just so we're clear. Yeah, you keep thinking that. You keep thinking that in the back there. Listen, I, um, I'm, I'm good for a good binge watch. Anybody here a binge watching TV person? It's bad because you get hooked and you're in it to win it, right? You got a marathon through. Um, I found Survivor Season 41. So it's the most recent season of Survivor. Y'all, anybody Survivor people out there? Oh, this is going to be a hard sermon now. Oh, thank you, baby. Jesus. Okay, so we've got one survival person. So season 41, if you don't know about Survivor, Survivor is uh, literally a show um, that is a game show where they literally take a bunch of people and they drop them on the island in Fiji um, and they have to survive. And literally it's a social experiment because here's the, here's the main things about Survivor. Um, you get voted off the island by a vote of your peers. But then later to win the game, if you're in the the three final contestants, those same peers that you voted out are now a jury that gets to vote on whether you win a million dollars or not. So you have to understand that the dynamics of social interactions are really important. Because if you tick somebody off, they're not gonna vote for you in the end. So how you handle yourself during the game is really, really important. I can't keep up half the time because can I tell you, y'all folks lie so hard on this show. They scheming and lying. They'll find an idol and hide it in the sand. They're literally digging holes and hiding stuff. Man, it's amazing to watch. It's one of my favorite things to watch because of the social interaction on the show. One of my favorite characters, uh, a, na- a lady named uh, Char, and Char is a pastor. And I was like, girl, what you doing? Boy, can I tell you, she was the best schemer in the bunch. So good at the game. And I was like, that is not really great for our testimony, sister. Because she lied. She was scheming. But one character that I really enjoyed watching her play the game was the one who ultimately won the game. So if you haven't watched, I'm sorry, you're going to find out who won. If you don't want a spoiler alert, go ahead and stick your fingers in your ears for a minute. Either way, I think you would enjoy watching the game. 
There was one small Filipino girl from Canada, and her name was Erica. This girl was always, always the underdog, always underestimated. She can't be more than like five foot tall, very petite, and she still looks 12. I don't know if you've ever met uh, beautiful Asian people like that. They just always perpetually look like a child. They're just so young looking, and I'm a little jealous. It's okay. I'll get over it. But she was amazing, and she's a communications manager, and Erica came to play the game to win. In her exit interview, she won, by the way. And the reason why she won is she played so, so smart. You see, she made sure that she made alliances and friendships with everybody who was always in the bottom. So if somebody was getting ready to get voted off, Erica was their very best friend. So that when she got to the end, as each person had left, Erica was their very best friend before they left. So all of them had these warm, wonderful feelings about Erica. So when it came down to a jury vote, everybody loved her. And everybody thought for sure that she deserved the million dollars. I love her exit interview. They asked her about her tactic and her gameplay. And she said, I had a plan going into this. And I promised myself that no matter what happened in the game, I was going to be kind to everyone. Kind to everyone. I'm down for that. I'm down for my kids watching it because I wanted them to see that kindness won a million dollars. That's amazing to me. Can we just be honest for a moment? When was the last time that you were surrounded in a situation with ugly people? Do not raise your hand because it might be the people you with, okay? And I don't want to I don't want to blow your cover. <laughs> I don't want to blow it. Don't do it right now because they might think, oh, what? who are you talking about? We don't want to start another war here, okay? Listen, I have totally been there. Uh, in 2004, I found myself in the middle of a dawning realization that I was actually a part of a very, very unhealthy organization. Alfie and I had joined a religious organization that we thought at the time was going to help us excel in our faith only to find out that the person who was leading this was not only a bad person, they were really, really ugly. And what they were doing was not real and it wasn't honest. And it was ugly enough that we had to have a dramatic escape in the middle of the night and we were hounded and hammered by phone calls from the leadership of this cult for days and weeks. It was to the point where we literally feared for our safety at some points. And yes, threats were made before we left. Can I tell you that I was so disoriented to be faced with the reality of human brokenness? And it sent my world into outer space. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been blindsided by somebody you thought was your friend? And it left you going, what? Or maybe it was a coworker who you thought was on your team only to find out in the boardroom that they were on their team with your ideas that they just sold as their ideas. Or maybe you've been in a relationship with somebody to find out they've betrayed you. They weren't honest and they've been lying. 
I don't know where you're at or what you've experienced, but we have all experienced the ugliness of other people at some point in our lives, right? It's hard, and it's not fair all the time. And when we experience ugliness, we have the ability to do a couple things in our lives. We can either look at the ugly and respond with ugly. And can I just tell you, that's my first inclination. Let's just be honest, okay? You come at my neck, I'm going to come at your neck, right? It's hard. It's very hard. So no matter who we are or how privileged we are in our existence, it is likely that at some point, I don't know if it's in school for you or in college or at work or at the PTA or the Dagon Book Club or the sports team, you will encounter the ugliness of people broken by sin. It's going to happen. So if it hasn't happened yet, thank you, Jesus, but hold your pants because it's going to happen. And we all will have to face the decisions on how we respond to people in this ugly, ugly world. So maybe right now you're facing a family who's turned ugly over something. Could be as simple as an inheritance or making decisions for your betterment and your health. Because, man, there's some folks that don't want you to get better. Am I right? Or maybe you got roasted in public on social media because you stood up for justice or you, you stood up for Christ and people are out there verbally trying to tear you down. Trolls, y'all. Trolls on the internet. Or maybe you got ousted at work because you were outperforming your peers and they're like, no, nah, we can't handle this. You can't be better than us. Or maybe you made a mistake with your classmates and they just can't seem to let it go. Because let's be honest, high school is hard, right? Middle school's hard too. So how can you remain pretty and calm and composed and gracious when things turn ugly? That's what we're talking about today. I hope by the end of this conversation that you are equipped with some of the things that my boy, King David, had in his journey. So this morning we're going to look at a biblical case study and how not to be uh, not only pretty in an ugly world, but how to respond with godly goodness that's going to help you rise up to the top and grant the same grace that you've received from God. So we're going to read, and we have an extensive passage to read for you today. So y'all, I'm going to read. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to read in 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to kind of follow the beginning of a relationship between King David, who wasn't a king yet, and King Saul. So after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who's Saul's son, became one in spirit with David. He loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. So Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and gave it to David alongside his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Pause here for just a minute. Jonathan was a friend and symbolically what he did was he took off his royalty, his, his robe that would have made sure that everybody knew his station in life and put it on David as his friend and said, whatever you do, I've got your back. I've got you covered with my royal decrees. Whatever I can bring to the table, I'm covering you with that too. You're my ace. You're my homie. It's me and you. We ride or die, David. He also gave him his sword and his bow to let him know, man, whatever you need in a time of need, you've got my sword, you've got my defense. 
You've got my offense. I'm ready to go to war with you. I will do anything for you. He aligned himself completely with David. You are my friend, friends for life. Verse 5, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all of the troops and Saul's officers as well. Now listen, you're doing something right when you got everybody's amen behind you. That's a lot, a whole army and not no one person's going to say anything bad about David. He's doing all right, right? Can we agree on that? So six, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns in Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. Um, that's like cymbals and like a banjo, okay? And they are all dancing and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, you know, they just made David real high up. They said, oh, the king has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And they're singing this. And what happens? Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. He was literally singing prophetically while David is playing uh, music in, that he had worked on his whole life. David sat on the backside of the desert learning the lyre and worshiping God among the sheep by himself. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. So Saul had a spear in his hand and hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. You see, David was stepping into the royal palace for the first time. David um, was out tending the flocks with his father. Uh, the priest named Samuel had come and said, I am here to anoint a new king of Israel, but y'all can't tell anybody. Bring me your sons. And he sends out all the, the boys and he's like, here you go. And Saul's like, oh, that one looks good. And God says to, to, to Samuel, hey, bro, remember the last time you said that one looks good? That was Saul. And this is why we're in the soup we're in right now. So maybe not go by what they look like. Like Alfie said last week, maybe not the looks. Right? And so he said, do you have any more sons? Like, God doesn't make mistakes. I'm here for a purpose. Right? So where's this son? And he's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's in the field. He's like, well, go get him because we are not going to eat until he comes. So they go get David. And here comes David. And he's like a good looking kid. You know, he's all right. He's been out in the fields throwing rocks and, you know, wrestling things like bears, wolves. Seriously, not kidding. And so he goes, this is the one. Here he is. This is the one. Samuel chooses him, and that's the end of it. Nobody tells Saul. Nobody, nobody kind of lets the cat out of the bag. However, God has taken his favor from Saul because Saul continually made a habit of being disobedient to God. He started relying on his looks 
and only his looks. He started thinking that he could get ahead by the way he postured himself. Saul was bent on getting his own way. He wouldn't wait for God when Samuel had told him to wait to sacrifice. And so he said, no, no, I got this. I'm going to put myself in the place of God. So this is Saul's going-ons for a while during his reign. And as a result of his ugly character, his life began to lessen of the Holy Spirit's touch. God's hand was no longer upon him, and he began to see his life diminish until finally God's Spirit just completely left Saul. Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit in our life is a little bit different than the dispensation that the Old Testament was written in because the Holy Spirit is given to us. And when we say yes to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And then later we can receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit yet again for renewal and repurpose. Unfortunately, during this dispensation, God's Spirit could only rest on people who would live godly in Christ Jesus. And Saul began to leave the faith and to do his own thing. And that's why the Spirit of God left him. So much so that, can I tell you, once you've been in the presence of the Holy Spirit, once you have the Spirit of God on your life, when you sin against God, can I tell you, it's real clear. Because when you feel the displeasure of God and when you feel it lift off your life, you're like, whoa, hold up, something's different. Where's the Holy Spirit? I don't feel his touch. I don't feel his presence. I've been in the presence of God, and now I know that something's wrong. That is what Saul was dealing with, and that drove him crazy. But not crazy enough to change. Not crazy enough to repent. Not crazy enough to go back. Because he still wanted to have his way, but he just wanted God's approval on his sin. There's a warning in there for somebody in here today. You cannot walk and call yourself a Christian and live in sin and expect God to bless your life because you're a liar and God isn't. So Saul was envious. Instead of celebrating, so when they're walking into the city and Saul is like, da, 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 da. we've come back from war and David's like, da, 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 da. They are all walking through the city and the ladies are singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. I can see him like doing the dip back because they are so rocking ready because David is so cute. And you know, he slayed all them Philistines. Girl, did you hear about that? They're like, yes, honey, I heard. He's so cute. Look at him go. And Saul, instead of going, that's my protege, he did a good job, good job. Saul couldn't even do that. He was so envious, even though it was the truth. He was so envious that he let anger and bitterness seep into his heart and began to drive him to have a jealous rage toward David. You see, he was jealous of David's success. And when he recognized that God's hand had been placed on David and that his legacy was passing to him, um, he let envy just turn him into a depressed and anxious and paranoid and all-around ugly person. Proverbs 14.30 says this. It says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Man, you can let envy of another person's position cause you 
to become a very ugly person, a person who nobody wants to be around. The message version says it this way, and I like this. A sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. You see, instead of having gratitude and a tranquil heart, Saul was ugly with bitterness and, and just hatred. The Bible tells us, however, in 1 Timothy 6, 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. If Saul would have just been content with what he had, he would have retained the kingdom until his natural life was ended. But instead, the ugliness drove him to not only divide his house, but divide his kingdom. You see, David stepped into the royal throne because Saul gave his daughter in marriage. That's crazy, right? So he is on the outside and gets brought into the inside. But Saul's behavior seems to send a rift through his family because now he's pitted his wife against himself and her husband, and he's pitted his son against his best friend, and now you see all this murky ugliness in the royal house. And Saul was literally driven nuts. And the only cure was David. Can you imagine? He hates David so much. But the only thing that can help him sleep at night, the only thing that calms him is David leading worship. I have seen this play out in other churches and it's ugly, okay? I have seen it. But Saul is just riddled with anger. And so David comes in and plays his harp and calms Saul down. What's crazy to me is that Saul still tries to take him out in the middle of him doing his right duty to try and soothe the beast that is Saul. Saul is trying to pin him to the wall. It's crazy. And so we read um, a little bit earlier, we're going to see kind of the roots of all this in 1 Samuel 16, 17 through 23. So Saul said to his attendants, this is earlier, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse who knows how to play the harp and the lyre. Um, and he is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent out messengers and he said, go get him. And they bring him back. So Jesse took a donkey with bread and wine and a young goat and sent them with David to Saul. And David came in and entered into the service of Saul. And Saul liked him so much that David became one of his armor bearers. And that was the beginning of it all. And, and Saul sends back to Jesse, please let him stay. And whenever, listen to this, whenever the spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come on Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. The evil spirit that came on Saul was just the reflection of who he was on the inside. I believe that God was taking away his presence from Saul, and Saul was just left to be with himself. Can I tell you that some of the most revealing moments in my life, the most revealing moments about my soul have been when I have had to sit with myself in silence. It's a practice that is very uncomfortable. You should try it sometime. When no one's home and you have time by yourself, sit with yourself in quiet and in silence for an hour. 
for two. Can I tell you, you will get such a revelation of who you are and how you're interacting with God by just having to sit with yourself. And can I tell you, if you can't sit with yourself, it's a really good indication that prayer is needed in your life. So David would come and go in these journeys and he was faithful at home and he would come and work at the, 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 the royal palace. He would go home and take care of the sheep and then he would come and go take care of Saul and then he would go to war. So no matter where David was, he was faithful in everything he did. Can I tell you the quickest way to tick people off in your life is to be faithful and keep showing up. You want to get ahead and work? Do something miraculous called actually show up and do your job without arguing or complaining. And you will get a lot farther than probably half of the other people working there. If you just show up and do what you're supposed to do. Because it's a lost and rare art form now. But I'm telling you, when you do that, you're going to set yourself apart from everyone around you. And David was, was tending these sheep and he would come and he knew that he was anointed king. He knew he knew that one day he was going to rule and reign because Samuel had came and poured oil on him and said, Behold the king of Israel. But David also knew that he was not there yet. He was not there yet. He was not going to be king for a while. So David just became faithful. At every small thing, at every big thing. You want me to take a donkey up to the palace with some cheese and some food? Okay, I got you donkeys and me. Let's go, right? If he had to go fight a Philistine army, somebody talking smack about my God, y'all hold up. I'm going to grab five smooth stones. And he knew he was such a good shot that he was going to hit Goliath on the first shot. But can I tell you that he had four other stones? Why? Did you know Goliath had brothers? Not kidding. It's in the Bible. And David was going to take care of every single one. And he knew it and he had a plan right away because he was faithful in all of the house. And Saul would never, ever, ever stop fighting against David. As a matter of fact, there was at one point, uh, Saul had begun to send mercenaries to kill David, living in his own house, mind you. In his daughter's bedchamber, mind you. And they go in, and David is, is lowered outside of a window. His wife, like, gets a goat hair and, like, makes a little, like, dummy. And he's like, no, you can't come in. I'm sorry, my husband's sick. See, he's over there. Right? She totally lies for him. And you know what's messed up. You know you're in management. If you're in management, can I get an amen? Because this is what happened. The soldiers go, oh, man, we're sorry he's sick. We'll be right back. Hey, Saul, no can do on the whole killing of David thing. He's sick. Saul's like, I don't think this matters. He's sick. You're killing him. What's the problem? Right? They go, oh, right. Let me go back and do, 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 do. Right? Every manager ever has had to deal with that kind of stuff. And David, in all of this, as many spears as Saul threw, as many attempts on David's life that Saul made, David never ever even raised a complaint against Saul. As a matter of fact, the people around him would be like, yo, you need to take him out. Do it. Stab him. Poison him. I got you. I'm going to take him out. 
let's go. We're going to take this dude out. You're the king. Behold the king. We're going to ride you in. And he's like, no, 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 no. You will not touch the Lord's anointed. You're not going to touch Saul because Saul is anointed king and only God can take care of him. Don't touch him. So I want to give you four things this morning that you can do when you are faced with an ugly world around you. When somebody, what do you do? What did David do when, when somebody you love greatly hurts you badly? Man, what do you do? What do you do? Number one, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. This is normal life. We live in a broken world. People hurt people. It's what we do. And listen, when you begin to be favored because you are living godly, when you begin to walk in integrity and your character shines because of Christ and the Holy Spirit's leadership in you, when you get that promotion and you step into what God has for you because you've been faithful with the little, can I tell you, there's an old proverb, Asian proverb that says, the tall grass gets cut first. When you put yourself out there, they're going to come after you. The devil does not like God's character in your life. And people who live by the devil's rules are going to do what the devil does. And they're going to come after you. They're going to lie. They're going to hurt you. They're going to try to come after your job. But I encourage you, like Esther and Daniel and Paul, People were envious of their character and of their, who they were and the favor that they had on their lives. It's going to happen. But listen what Peter wrote. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So don't be surprised, number one. Don't be surprised. Number two, don't become spiteful. Don't be spiteful. It's going to happen. 1 Peter 3, 9, Peter again says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't even talk to him. Don't even talk bad about him. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You want to be blessed? Bless those that curse you. You want to be rich? Give to those that would take from you. You see, Jesus taught us such an upside-down kingdom. You want to be first, be last. You want to be the greatest, be the servant. Don't be spiteful. Here's a great, a great saying. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Because revenge will never get you anywhere. Revenge isn't the answer. So what is? What did David model in his relationship with Saul? He modeled a perseverance in the face of trouble that I can only imagine set him solely apart. Saul was in a cave. Think about this. Saul is in a cave looking out in the wilderness for David. David is literally having to run around the countryside of Judea to hide from Saul. What the heck? 
And so David and his men are hiding in the back of a cave. And wouldn't you know, King Saul comes in the cave to go to the bathroom. Like the most vulnerable position he could be in. And David is right there. And his friend goes, yo, hit him. Strike him with a spear. And David's like, I will not touch the Lord's anointing. He said, that's okay. Give me the spear. I will do it. And I won't have to hit him twice. In other words, I got this. And I'm going to hit him. I'm going I'm to nail him so hard that we won't have to strike twice. There won't be a number two. One and done, baby. And David says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. What integrity. What integrity to not touch the Lord's anointed. This is a, an amazing, uh, amazing statement from an article called Kindness in the Face of Pure Evil. Kindness can and should be a preventative just like a vaccine, kindness applied early and consistently may prevent the spread of a contagious hate and prejudice. You see, twice David had the opportunity to take Saul out. After twice, David had pinned him to the wall with the spear, but David did not take the advantage. He avoided the opportunity to become Saul Jr. Because that's what he would have become. Another of God's anointed who couldn't carry the mantle because of envy and anger, and hate. So number three, don't be stupid. Don't be naive. Know that this is coming. Here's a good one. Duck. If you see the spear coming, you know, you can shuck out the way. Duck, if you see it coming at you. David did not go with Saul. So here we are back in the wilderness and David cut off the corner of Saul's robe to kind of show like, bro, I could have took you out, but here I am and I will not touch you and I'm going to honor you and I'm going to be loyal to you. And Saul goes, oh, my son, I'm so sorry. Come home. We'll work this out. Come back with me. Everything's going to be fine. And you know what David says? No, I will not go down to you, but you can send somebody up to me. In other words, he said, I'm not stupid. This can't be repaired. I'm not going to take you out, but I'm not going to let you take me out either. He was not stupid. David did not go with Saul when he told him to come back. He honored Saul. He honored him, but would not stoop to his level because he knew the consequences of having an inappropriate boundary. What you need in your relationships with ugly people are appropriate boundaries. No is good. You can say no. You can say no to somebody who's trying to take advantage of you, and you should. You can say no. Have those boundaries and keep them but don't let people turn you sour. Don't let the envy and the hate and the bitterness that they have in their lives, that they're trying to direct onto you, infect your soul. And number four, don't stop. Do not give up on God. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what people have said to you or what they've done to you. I don't care how they have taken from you and manipulated you and lied to you. I don't care because I know that God has a plan for your life that is so much bigger than their petty behind that you're going to step into it and like, oh, 
I'm here now. Sorry, because can I tell you, after the experience that I had with that uh, call and that leadership, I can tell you that there were many times that I felt very, very clearly like I was dodging spears. This man had it out for me. He had it out for my husband, and he kept trying with all his might to get at us in a very unhealthy way. But I was faithful. And when my boundaries were crossed, I left. And I kept boundaries. And I pursued God. And when I was so hurt and almost bankrupt from what he took from us, I wrote him a letter. And I said three words. And you can ask my mom because she was there when I wrote it. And I said, I forgive you. And to every person in that organization, I wrote another letter. I forgive you. And I can tell you that I don't think I would be standing here with the ability to do what I get to do if I had let the bitterness and the anger that he projected onto me seep into my soul. Now I had to tell you, to tell you it's taken long years of therapy seriously therapy to overcome what happened to us in that time. But God is faithful. So don't stop. In the face of unbearable ugliness in people, don't quit. Don't quit God's plan for your life because he has a plan. And there are people who are good. It's been so challenging for me as a woman in ministry, because for so long and for, for, for so many years, it's been uh, male-dominated. What I do is usually a dude, right? Can we just be honest for a minute? Uh, and I'm a woman who felt God called me to step into this. And there was a lot of opposition over the years. There was a lot of opportunities to quit people, especially men. Because so many times in ministry, I would be shut down or told no or told to step aside by a male in leadership. But can I tell you, I refuse to turn my back on anyone. And I'm surrounded now with the most wonderfully loving, affirming men in leadership. Seriously, can we give it up? I'm serious. These guys are amazing, amazing, amazing people. So don't give up on God and don't give up on people. There are good people. Don't let one ugly person destroy your faith in the many who are good. God has good people and he has good for you. David kept showing up. He kept going to the party. He kept keeping faithful with his duties. And eventually, through a lot of hard work and determination, he stepped into the kingdom as a king. And to this day, he is renowned by a man who loved God. Did he make mistakes? Yes. But you know where he ran when he made those mistakes? Right to God. Right to God. So listen, for you today, if you're experiencing some ugliness in the people around you, don't be surprised. Don't be spiteful. Don't be stupid. But don't stop. Don't stop. So you might be here this morning and, and you're experiencing some ugly things. Um, I would encourage you 
to not experience those ugly things alone. We have groups here that help you. We have a men's group that meets weekly. And we have a women's group that meets on Thursday nights. And we have more groups uh, growing as we grow. Make sure that you go on the website and go to Next Steps and Groups and find your group. Find your people, please. We don't want you to have to go through ugliness alone in this life. We're here. We believe that you can find freedom and you can find hope and you can find purpose among people who will love you. And that's our groups. We want you to be a part of that. But before you do any of that, if you're here today and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to let his spirit turn you into a beautiful person inside and out, or a handsome person on the inside and out, I don't want to be sexist. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to not only say yes, but to tell us that you said yes. Take out your phones. We have a QR code that's going to pop up on the screen. But I want to pray with you. I want you to say yes to Jesus right now, and I want you to bop this QR code on your phone. If you do this, um, we're just going to text you. Literally, we're not going to call you. We're not going to hound you. We're just going to send you a text that says, we're so excited that you said yes to Jesus and ask how we can pray for you and how we can partner with you. So let's pray. Father, we are so honored that you would be here with us today, that you can help us to become beautiful people in the face of an ugly world. But we need your spirit to do that. And to receive your Holy Spirit, we need to say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus you came and you died and you rose so that we could connect with God spiritually and be empowered by your Holy Spirit to do your work here. So I'm saying yes to you today, Jesus. I want to say yes. I want to come home and I want for you to make me brand new. Clear up what people have broken and the ugliness and the brokenness of the world has done to my heart and to my insides. Would you heal that? And help me to begin a journey of freedom. Amen. If you say that prayer, please make sure you um, either text, uh, that's me to 94,000, no punctuation, or snap that QR code and it'll do it for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've made a commitment to Jesus in the past, but you have just walked away. Maybe somebody was ugly, like in my story. And they caused you to, to put the pause on church and put the pause on a relationship with God. Man, if that's you, can I tell you that there is joy and there is peace on the other side when you reconnect to God. Do not let the ugliness of this world push you out of one of the most beautiful relationships you will ever have in this life and in the life to come. And that's with God. So if you've fallen away and you need to come home, come home. Come home. If, if you're needing to tell God I'm back, I want to do it with you right now. Let's pray together, and then you'll have the opportunity to snap a QR code on the screen too. Let's pray. Father, we're coming home. We're back. We don't want the ugliness of this world to drown out your spirit in our lives anymore. We want to make a commitment to be back with you, Jesus, to pursue a relationship through prayer and through reading your word. God, would you help us to come home we're back today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, I'm so excited. If you said yes to Jesus or you said, I'm back, 
I want to be a part of your journey. We want to uh, support you as you journey and grow in Christ. So please make sure that you text um, and reply to those texts appropriately so that we can connect with you. I hope you guys have an amazing week and be back next week for our final part in Pretty Ugly People. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.